If you guys enjoyed this series with Pastor Brent, like it's been so helpful, so insightful, and uh, I wanted to end it all with something just so profound that I read this week, a BuzzFeed article, all right? You guys uh, been ever gone down that rabbit hole before where you start, it's just like, it's clickbait, right? You just can't help it and you start going through and it's, and it's like, you won't believe what happened until you click here. And, and I saw this one, it said, things that you can't live without but you will never believe are less than 10 years old. And I was like, ooh, well, now you got me. Curious like a little cat, I gotta click on this and see what's going on. And so I did and I was actually blown away by some of the things that I read and some of the things that I saw. And so I thought, hey, I'm gonna share this with my friends, with all of you today. So can we do that? So I want you to check out these things that I found out are less than 10 years old and it blew my mind, right? The first one is a really big one, Instagram, right? Instagram came out in 2010. If you don't know what Instagram is, exactly, all right? Let's like, this is like the king of social media platforms now. There may be more people on Facebook still, but all the cool people are on Instagram, all right? That's kind of where it's at. Instagram is now king and everybody's into it and it's only been around for less than 10 years. Like if you've got any sort of a platform today, you've got to be on Instagram to get your message out there. And uh, it's only been around since 2010. So it's kind of crazy how much it's really changed the landscape of the way that we relate to each other in less than 10 years, all right? Check out this next one, all right? This is a big one, Netflix, right? Some of you are like, Netflix has been around more than 10 years. Yes, it has. But Netflix original content has not, all right? Do you guys remember back in the day, this is gonna blow some of the young people's mind, right? Back in the day, Netflix just used to show other people's shows and movies, right? And if you can remember way back in the day, who remembers when Netflix started, it was a DVD service that you could actually get a DVD in your mailbox, right? So now kids, if you don't know what a DVD is, all right, <laughs> it was like this disc that you put in this little player and it beamed the content to your TV for you and you got to watch it. If you don't know what a mailbox is, uh, that was a thing that was at the end of your street, you had to go get it out of. And, uh, but it was wild, like at the time it was so cutting edge and it was so convenient, right? Now we couldn't be bothered to go to the mailbox and get something and stick it into a player. Like it's just, it's all streaming, it's all there. And now Netflix has turned into a billion dollar production company. They're making their own shows like Stranger Things, right? But a few years ago, Netflix was very, very different. Now streaming has changed absolutely everything. It's changed our entire world. We're into the streaming wars now. Apple TV Plus just came out, Disney Plus is coming out. I mean, it's like, it's getting crazy and it's only gonna get crazier, all right? Check this out. Pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks, all right? 10 years ago, nobody was talking about pumpkin spice, all right? Starbucks started it up and now we've got the basic white girls, you know, with their Ugg boots and their infinity scarves and their pumpkin spice lattes. I like me a good pumpkin spice latte, don't get me wrong, right? I enjoy it. But it's gone kind of crazy. Like now like pumpkin spice lattes became a thing and then pumpkin spice everything just showed up really quickly thereafter, didn't it? Like no joke, you look this up, you can get pumpkin spice dog treats because dogs care apparently. Uh, you can get pumpkin spice kale chips, which if kale chips weren't disgusting enough, let's make them taste like pumpkin spice. And you can get pumpkin spice protein powder, right? All you bros trying to make your gains at the gym, you can drink your own pumpkin spice latte, right? and get swole while you're doing it. But it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy how fast in just a few years this has become such a big part of our culture, isn't it? Uh, the next one is wild, the selfie stick, all right? Who's got a selfie stick at home that's willing to admit it, all right? Like two of you, right? This was heralded by Time Magazine as one of, this is hilarious, one of the best inventions of 2014, okay? I have no idea what was going on in 2014. I can't remember, but it must have been a pretty slow year for mankind is all I'm saying. If, if the selfie stick was one of our best inventions, like 
we should probably just forget that even exists, all right? So selfie stick. This next one is the craziest one for me, all right? The iPad was not in existence before 2010. That's only nine years ago. The Steve Jobs stood on Apple stage at one of their famous events and used this famous line. We've got one more thing for you, right? Anybody remember that? I remember watching it and that saying, and it just blew my mind because he pulled out, I'm using one to preach today. Like it's changed the way, if you take away our iPads, we preachers are toast today. We just can't do it anymore. Like we've got to have the iPad to do it. And it's only been around for 10 years, right? And when he pulled it out, it was like, no one had ever heard of these or conceptualized that these could be a thing outside of Star Trek, right? We used to see them and these guys were like, whisking through in their tablets but now we've got a whole computer and we hold it in our hands it's changed the game now tablets are made by thousands of different companies and most of us have one in our home today but it wasn't until 2010 that Steve Jobs revealed the first iPad crazy 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 check out this next one too all right Tesla electric cars now the first Tesla Roadster is a little more than 10 years but it came out in 2008 so it's only 11 years ago that Tesla really popularized electric cars now here in the valley over at the Millennium Road Irving We've got like eight charging stations there that no one ever uses, but hey, it's a thing. And we're all, whether we like it or not, we're all going to be driving them someday, right? Only 11 years ago, the Tesla came out with their first electric car. And this next one, this is the last one, absolutely blew my mind, right? It's a little older than 10 years. It's only been around for 14 years. Check this out, right? YouTube. YouTube, right, has changed the way that we live, right? It's changed the way that we use the internet. It's changed the entire game. It's changed the way that we do church. Thousands of you are watching me on YouTube right now at this exact moment. Like YouTube has only been around for 14 years. Since 2000, before 2005, it did not exist at all. How quickly our world changes, right? How quickly something that seems convenient and fun at the time quickly becomes something that we can't imagine living our life without. That is progress, right? That's our message today. This is the finale of the whole thing. We were made for progress and we love living in the age of progress, don't we? We love living in the age of technological advancement. I'm super glad Netflix doesn't send me DVDs anymore because that would just be lame, right? I'd have to go find a DVD player for starters, but like we love living in the age of progress. We love that the world is so convenient, that we've got so much access to so much information. We love that we can stream any kind of content to any screen in our house. We can learn about anything we want to with just a few keystrokes and a click of a mouse. Like anything can happen for us, it seems like, in our world today. It's like we've got so much, anything is possible. In the last 200 years, if you look at like the gross domestic product of human, humankind, in the last 200 years, we have had more economic output than the previous centuries of all history combined, all right? So let that sink in for a second. The last 200 years, more economic output than the previous centuries of history combined just in the last 200 years. So that's how quickly things are changing and advancing. The iPhone in your pocket has more processing power than the supercomputers that sent a man to the moon in 1969. Like that's how quickly things are happening. It's within less than a lifetime that everything about the way the world operates and the way the world works can change in an instant, right? We've got so much, we've got so much available to us and it's a beautiful thing. Progress is an amazing thing. But something that we all know and we talk about in church on a pretty regular basis, and this isn't gonna be news to anybody today, that we've got more than we've ever had before in history. But we're certainly no happier, are we? Like we're no more content, we're no more at peace, 
we're no more joyful than we ever were than earlier points in history. In fact, many would argue that the opposite is true. Isn't that right? Like many would argue that things like mental illness and anxiety and depression are actually probably more prevalent in our cultures today than they've ever been before in history, which seems like that should be the opposite, right? It seems like because we've got so much available to us, because life is so convenient that everything is now at our fingertips, that we should be able to have access to anything we want whenever we want it, that life should be better, that we should be happy, we should be more content, we should be more at peace. But the opposite is actually true, that progress has now become almost an idol for us and an idol for our lifestyle, that we're working more hours and we're more stressed out because we're trying to accumulate more. We all know this, the more we get, the more we want, right? The more we have access to, the more we think we need, the more we think that we deserve. And the idea of progress and the idea of enriching our progressivism is just like cultural enrichment and betterment of our lives. Like the idea of that is something that we've almost become slaves to. It's something that we build our political campaigns on today. I mean, if you're watching in a different country around the world, that's amazing, we're glad you're here. But here in Canada, we just had a big national election where we had to elect a new prime minister, which is the, the highest office in our country. And I tell you this, every single candidate for office built their entire campaign on telling us how much better our lives would be if we would vote for them, did they not? And they were also very quick to say, these are all the ways your life is gonna become worse if you vote for my opponents. And these political pundits, like they're not dumb, they're very smart, they're very intelligent. They know that that's what we base our votes on. What's in it for me? How is it gonna improve the quality of my life? How is it gonna make my life better? How is it gonna make my life easier? How is it gonna make my life more convenient and more simple? It's what we base our votes on. It's what we base our entire political campaigns on. We want more. We want more money. We want more freedom. We want more access. We want more sex. We want more success. We want more fame. We just want more. And the more we get, the hungrier we are, the less satisfied we are. And progress creates this convenience in us that starts to create a, a consumeristic mentality. And then consumerism just kind of hoards, hoards wealth and hoards everything that we can get our hands on, which creates individualism, which says like, my needs are the most important thing and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to meet my needs. But how many times have we ever upgraded something in our life and found out that like, it didn't hold nearly as much appeal as we thought? I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to get fixated on something. It's like, man, if, if I could just upgrade, if I could just upgrade my phone, right? If I, got, if I got the iPhone 11 Pro Max, like that would change everything, right? That would just make me so much happier. Like I, I would want for nothing if I just had a new iPhone. But maybe it's something more like, maybe, maybe you've wanted to upgrade your job. Maybe you've wanted to upgrade your house. Maybe you've wanted to upgrade your boat or your car or your kids. I don't know what it is. But how many times, honestly though, how many times have we thought, man, if, if I could just get that, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that, if I could just have that house, if we could just get there, then then I'd be happy, then I would be fulfilled, then I would feel like I had everything I want, then I would feel like I could get ahead in life, then I would feel like that I'd really be at a healthy spot. And if every single time for me, when I'm looking at something like that, it's less than a week if I'm lucky until I start looking around and going like, wow, okay, this is good, but there's still this over there. Like I got the iPhone 11, but there's the iPhone 11 Pro that my friend got and that's even cooler, right? Or I finally got that house that I wanted, but then I started looking around and it's like, well actually on the next street over, 
there's even nicer houses. Or I got that job I finally wanted, and it's like, well, Frank down the hall is, he's making even more money than me. And it's like, we're just, it doesn't matter what we get or what we think is gonna satisfy, it never quite cuts it. And there's something inside of us that tells us that we were made for progress, that we were made for advancement, that we were made for success, but, but we've struggled with this for such a long time. We've struggled with accepting a cheap counterfeit, right? If you look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve and the serpent basically came to them and said, if you'll just eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you can be like God. Then you can have whatever you want. Then you can make your own rules. Then no one can stop you. Then no one can stand in your way. You'll have all the success, all the fame and all the power. And it was a cheap counterfeit to what was true progress. It was a cheap counterfeit to what was true meaning. And I'll tell you what, we are a long way from the Garden of Eden today in 2019, but the enemy hasn't changed his tactics at all. He still offers us the cheap counterfeit. He still offers us the knockoff, the ripoff. That said, the more you get, the more, if you just had that, then you'd be happy. If you could just have that, then you would be at peace. If you could just have that, then you could rest and catch your breath and it's all, it's all a lie. We struggle with this from the beginning of time. And if you, like, you read that story in the beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve, and then you just start flipping through the Old Testament and watching over the course of history, you only make it to Genesis chapter 11 and there's a story of the Tower of Babel. Anybody grew up in Sunday school and learned about the Tower of Babel? Anybody remember flannel graphs? This nice, this nice touchscreen TV, this is the new flannel graph, right? Some of my Sunday school teachers would roll over in their grave if they knew I was standing here with a touchscreen that could teach us things, right? We used to throw a bed sheet over a chalkboard and then we'd stick fuzzy little things to it, right? And that's how we learned. That's how we acted out. We were like little, oh, here comes like Peter and Paul walking down the path, right? And like big old Tower of Babel. Like I still remember what the Tower of Babel flannel graph looked like. So I guess, hey, it worked. Back the, to their credit, it worked. And I remember those stories, but there was like, basically God had, had, there was this worldwide flood and Noah and the ark and all of that. And God had hit the reset button on humanity, trying to, trying to help us and patch things up. And essentially he said, go out into the world and multiply it now and subdue the earth and fill it. And look what we did, all right? In Genesis chapter 11, mankind says they all spoke the same language and they used the same words. And as they migrated, again, this is right after the big flood, as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there and they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire in this region. Bricks, that's technology, that's progress, right? They were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and will keep us from being scattered all over the whole world. God said, go out into the world, scatter and multiply. And they said, let's park it right here and build ourselves an incredible tower that will reach into the heavens, that will literally obstruct our view of the God who made us and make ourselves famous, make ourselves powerful, accumulate success, accumulate wealth, accumulate renown in our name. And then if you know the story, if you were in those flannel graph Sunday school classes, you know that, that God comes down and he confuses their language and sort of forces them to divide up and to scatter and multiply like he told them to in the first place. But we still don't learn. Again, you keep, keep leafing through the Old Testament and reading through the history of God's interaction with mankind. You'll get to 1 Samuel, where the Israelites, God's chosen people, this nation, they begin to look around and they begin to say, we want a king. We need a king. Like if you look at the nations all around us, they've got these 
kings that, that sit on these throne rooms and these amazing palaces and they, they issue their edicts and they go up before them in battle. Like we need a king like that that's gonna represent us on the world stage. We need a king who is gonna protect us, a king who is gonna fight for us, a king who is going to lead us. And up until that point in history, Israel's only leader had been God that God had this special, unique relationship with them, beginning with Abraham, and like they went on this amazing journey together, and there were prophets that spoke for God, but they weren't the leaders. God, God was the leader of their country, but then they started, they became, grew discontent, and they looked around at what the other countries were doing or what they had, and the, the fame and the wealth that they were accumulating and said, we need a king like them. And God told Samuel, he said, tell them why that's a bad idea. If they really want it, then I'll honor it, but tell them why it's about it. Tell them if they get a king that they're gonna have to start paying taxes and tell them if they get a king that he's gonna grow wealthy by the sweat of their brow. Tell them that he's gonna take their sons and their daughters as slaves to plow his fields and to work in his vineyards. And so Samuel outlines all of this for the people of Israel, but they don't listen. They can't be satisfied. It says that they refuse to listen to Samuel's warning in chapter eight. And even so, we still want a king, even though God himself told us all the reasons that's unnecessary and not a good idea. We still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated what the Lord, what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say and give them their king. And then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And right there at that point in history, the game changed for the nation of Israel, the game changed for the entire world, that now we're buying into this geopolitical system that says we can make our own way. That they literally removed God from the throne room of their lives and they put a human leader there in his place. And we've been fighting against that and struggling against that mentality ever since. Now, before all my anarchist friends get all like up in arms and like, yeah, down with the man, let's burn Parliament Hill, right? Like we don't need this. Let's start a new party, right? Like that's, don't get the torches lit up. Don't polish your pitchforks just yet because again, this mentality stuck around for so long. And then again, keep leafing through the narrative of the Bible and you get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up on the scene. And when Jesus showed up, he said, I'm the savior of the world. And people thought that Jesus was gonna be the one. He was gonna be their new earthly king. He was gonna overthrow the Roman Empire and he was going to establish his kingdom the kingdom of heaven they talked about and they said Jesus like how are you going to do this but Jesus said things like no 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 listen you pray for the people that are in authority over you you don't get all up in arms you don't like pick up your swords and start battling no you pray for the people that are in authority over you you give to Caesar what is Caesar's you make the best of the situation that you find yourself in. And then, then the Pharisees one day, just they were, they were struggling with this and all the followers of, of, of Jesus and the Jews of the day were, were, were struggling with this. And so the Pharisees said to Jesus in Luke 17, it says one day they asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Again, they were looking for a political overthrow. Like when is the kingdom of God gonna come? When are we gonna get rid of the Roman empire? When are we gonna take down the emperor? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You can't establish borders for the kingdom of God. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. 
The kingdom of God is already here. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his followers. He was talking about what it means to be the church. He was talking about what it means to be Jesus in the world. He was talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all language and things that people weren't understanding and they weren't getting at the time, but Jesus was working so hard to help us to understand. Progress for the sake of a a more comfortable life, for a more safe life, for a more convenient life for us. Like Jesus wasn't going to come in and say, yeah, we'll overthrow the Romans to make your lives easier. Like that wasn't a priority for Jesus. And he said, you gotta start turning our eyes back to heaven like we've Jesus knew it's like back in Samuel he's like we we God told you this was a bad idea but this is now the situation that we're in and how we move forward how we make true progress how we actually find the utopia that we all so desperately want how we achieve inner peace how we get nirvana how we really experience like contentment and feel like we're successful in our lives is that we turn our eyes back to heaven And he taught also in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the most popular passages of Scripture. Even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard these words of Jesus, where he said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and the thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And he's saying we've got to shift our mentality in the way that we think. He knew he was battling against it and he knew that we would still be battling against it 2,000 years later because we think where our treasure is is where our happiness lies, right? That the more we can get, the more content we will be. The bigger our house is, the faster our car, that the better our life is somehow going to be, the better job that we have, the better our relationships are. Like that is going to make us happy. And Jesus says, no, 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 we've got it, we've got it twisted. We've got it backwards. We've, we've messed things up. We've got to begin to turn our eyes back toward heaven. Like your treasure is in heaven. That's where your heart will also be. And here, here's the thing, all right? Those verses are very famous in scripture, but the next two verses that follow it don't get nearly as much airtime, I don't think, but check out what Jesus said next in verse 22. He said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have, this is huge, is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And Jesus is saying that we have been holding up a cheap, counterfeit, rip-off, knock-off idea of what progress and success and wealth and fame in our lives looks like. We've been looking at it and we've been calling what is actually darkness light. And he's saying we need to reprioritize, we need to shift our thinking, we need to set things right, we need to set things straight. That's why I'm here. I'm here to realign things. I'm here to realign my followers. I'm here to realign the world with who they were actually created and made and called and ordained by God to be because here's the thing. The pursuit of progress in our lives is a beautiful thing. The pursuit of progress, the pursuit of inner peace, the pursuit of contentment and joy is a healthy thing. It was put there on purpose because here's here's the deal. We long for progress because we were made for heaven. 
the reason that we desire progress in our lives, the reason that we have such an innate desire for progress and for success in our lives is because we were actually made for heaven and you were actually created in the image of God. We preach progress all the time in church. You were created in the image of God. Heaven is actually hardwired into your DNA. It is literally branded on your soul. Even if you don't know it, it is. Like that's what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accumulate, what we're trying to attain in our lives when we go after progress is actually heaven. It is the image of heaven in us. It's an idea that there's something greater than this, that there is a source of contentment out there. There is a source of joy out there. There's an inner peace out there that I don't have, but I desperately want. And Jesus came to teach and to realign a lot of that and to say, no, listen, the reason, that, the reason that you want all these things, the reason you think you need an earthly kingdom, the reason you think you need to amass all this wealth and you think you need to make the, the world a, a better place and an easier place and a more comfortable and convenient place for you to live is because you were actually made for heaven. It's because you were made for something that no experience in this world could ever offer you. No experience in this world could ever fulfill the desire and the longing in your heart for the kingdom of heaven. Your insatiable pursuit of progress is actually a pursuit of heaven, even if you don't realize it. And that's what Jesus came to teach us and to show us. Listen, uh, C.S. Lewis is one of the most brilliant literary minds in history. And again, listen, we pastors are pretty predictable, all right? If you've been in church long, you've heard a C.S. Lewis quote, I'm sure, all right? And so uh, I'm totally gonna be predictable today and give you a C.S. Lewis quote, all right? Because this one, he, just, he just captures it in such a powerful way. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If there are desires in us that are so strong and so powerful that and we're, we're so desperately trying to, to fill that void in our life with something, but we're finding that nothing measures up. It doesn't matter what phone we get, what job we get, what house we get, what boat we get, what relationship that we're able to successfully lock down, that nothing ever permanently satisfied like we hoped it would. And C.S. Lewis was smart enough to say, perhaps it's because we were made for a different world. Perhaps it's because we were created for something more than we could ever hope to experience in this lifetime. The only thing that's gonna satisfy us, the only thing that's gonna get us where we want to go, that's gonna fulfill us the way that we all so desperately want to be fulfilled is the Spirit of God, church. It's a visitation of the Holy Spirit, is a returning to the things of heaven. Because here's where we've landed as a culture, is that we so desperately want progress without the presence. We want the kingdom without the king. We want revival without salvation. Do you know the entire, like we talk about revival in the church all the time and we are believing for it and we are contending for it, believing that God has spoken a promise over this region and over our city and over our nation and the winds of revival are already beginning to blow and we're seeing amazing things happen. But yes, the, Everybody wants revival, actually. The entire world wants revival. Nirvana, inner peace, utopia, like just like joy and contentment and satisfaction. Like that's all the same idea. That's all a pursuit of heaven, which is using different language, right? 
And hopefully we know and we understand that true revival comes when we return to the way that we were created to be. We return to the God who made us. We realize our purpose in him. You can't have revival without salvation. You can't have revival outside of Jesus. You can't ever accomplish what you're trying to accomplish outside of King Jesus. And you can have the real deal. You can have the genuine article. We don't have to settle for the counterfeit and the cheap knockoff any longer, but it requires a renewing of our minds. Amen? Are you guys with me today? Like, it's like, I know this is weird and it's a little bit heady, but it requires a complete shift of the way that we think. It requires a complete shift of the way that we approach our lives. It doesn't matter how much you get, you will never be satisfied, but you can have true progress. You can be fulfilled. You can be content. You can be filled with joy, but it requires us approaching progress in an entirely different way. It requires us realizing, I think, I think three things about who we were made to be and what true progress in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And it, it looks like this, right? The first, very simple, is that we need to realize and recognize that heaven is in us. That the kingdom of heaven that we so desperately want, like it's already stamped within us. Like that's the, that's the kind of language that Jesus was using. He said, the kingdom of God is already among you. We're waiting for it and we're striving for it and we so desperately want it. And Jesus said, it's already among you. It's already in you. It's the way that I made you. It's the way that I hired you, you, were, you that I designed you. You were made for progress. The kingdom of heaven is literally imprinted on your soul. Heaven is in us. It is in us as people who follow Jesus. We don't have to look far to find it at all. It's actually incredibly personal. It's actually incredibly close. It's incredibly intimate. And here's the thing. Revival, renewal, contentment, all those things that we're longing for with progress. Corporate revival, corporate renewal always begins with personal transformation. It always begins in the heart of individuals. Because here's the thing, we pray and we contend for revival, that can't ever happen until it happens in us, church. That can't ever take place until it happens in our hearts. If you look throughout history, all the greatest revivals, they started with someone. They started with someone with a sensitivity to the spirit. Even if you look through, the, the, read through the Bible and like Abraham and Moses, there was something special about their closeness with God, right? And the way the spirit was poured out on them. You look in the New Testament and people like Peter and people like Paul, who underwent such radical transformations. And then more of the modern day, look at someone like Martin Luther or John Wesley. Maybe, just maybe in 2019, it's someone like Kanye West. Someone that God shows up and says, listen, I'm gonna do a new thing. There are no exclusions, no exceptions. The kingdom of heaven is already in every single one of us. It's an awakening to what is already there. That's what revival looks like. It could be anybody. When Paul was converted and went from killing Christians to starting churches, you better believe there were a lot of people that were skeptical of him and his ministry. Heaven is in every single one of us. And our awakening to that fact is the only thing that's holding us back from experiencing true progress. Revival happens when humans reach the end of themselves. When they say, I've tried everything and I've done everything and I've had everything and I've tasted anything that the world had to offer, but nothing could satisfy me before Jesus. Nothing could satisfy me outside of Jesus. Nothing could satisfy me outside of the kingdom of heaven that I was truly created for. It's heaven in us. 
And I think that we've gotta be awakened. I know we have to be awakened to that, that truth and that fact. Here's again what the, what the counterfeit knockoff progress tells us is that it's like we've, it's okay for us to live partial, partial truths. It's okay for us to accept partial truths. Like partial truths are one of the greatest tools the enemy uses to strangle the faith of our generation. Where we can say, hey, I like what's, what the Bible says over here, but the, people, the parts that make me uncomfortable, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna get rid of those, right? Like I like that the idea the Bible says this, but like I'm just gonna leave the red. Like we've gotta it's begin to renew our minds and say, no, 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 no. Like I'm not buying into the cultural mythology anymore. I'm not buying into what the world tells me is gonna make me feel good. I'm not gonna buy into what the world tells me is gonna make me happy. I'm not gonna buy any longer into what culture tells me is going to fulfill my desperate aches and longings of my soul, but I'm gonna renew my minds. I'm gonna believe in the truth that Jesus spoke heaven in me and heaven over me. And here's, here's the next thing I want us to highlight is that it's heaven in us, but it's also heaven through us. That the kingdom of heaven comes to earth through his people and through his followers, comes through you and I. Like what an amazing privilege that is. That the God of the universe chooses to use you and I. He wants to use you and I. Like he wants to work through us. He could do it on his own. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, but we are his plan A. We are the ones that he wants to use. I think that's why the church has always been marked by charity and by benevolence because when the spirit of God falls, when the spirit of God shows up, we know that it's our role, it is our job to keep bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And we've experienced something like that. And we've had, when we tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good, that we've got to share that with someone. And that's why the church has been a beacon of light and a beacon of hope since the beginning of its establishment with Jesus Christ. Like that's who we are called to be because we recognize that heaven is in us. It's then heaven through us is how God operates. Here's something that struck me this week and it just hit me like a hammer in the head, right? In a good way, if that's possible. And I think that, I think somebody in church needs to hear this today too, is that you were meant to be the answer to somebody else's prayers. That how many times in my life have I prayed for something and I've contended with God for something and I've gone before the Lord for something and the way he answered my prayers was through one of his people. That's heaven through us. You were made to be the answer to somebody else's prayers. You were made to participate in bridging the gap between heaven and earth. You were made to bring heaven into somebody else's life. God actually uses us to answer prayers. Listen, the world is broken. We know sin exists. We invited it here. Sin exists in our world and it messes things up and it trips us up and it deceives us and it talks us into accepting cheap counterfeits. Sin exists, but heaven is the antidote. Heaven is the cure. Heaven is the answer. Heaven changes everything. When we align ourselves with the kingdom that we were meant to live in, the economy that we were meant to live in, it changes absolutely everything. Sin blocks our progress, but heaven fuels it. We so desperately want it. The way we discover it is only through heaven in us and heaven through us. And the last thing, and I'll end with this and the bands can come back, is it's heaven before us. That it is our only hope. 
It is everything that we live for, is the promise of heaven, both in the here and in the now and for all of eternity. Like it's the hope that we've been promised. It's the hope that we've experienced, right? It's the hope of salvation. It's eternal life with Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, it's really all that we have to hold on to. It's a, it's a, it's a returning to the person that we were created to be, heaven before me. Like whatever I've been living my life for up to this point, I need to get heaven to the forefront. Another quote from C.S. Lewis, because I'm a pastor and it's what we do, all right? Check this out. On progress. We all want progress, he said. This, just, just let this sink in while I'm reading it for a second, okay? But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back the soonest is actually the most progressive. That's very simple, but it's also very profound. You understand? Is that you can have, Andy Stanley said it this way, a little bit different language. He said, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. That if I'm going down the wrong road, if we're going down the wrong road, we can go as far as we want to, but it's never going to take us where we actually want to end up. Like it doesn't determine our destination. Like unless our destination is heaven, unless heaven is before us and it's at the forefront of our minds and it is the goal, it is the motivation for everything that we do, for the way that we live, then we are never gonna achieve the satisfaction that we so desperately want, that ache in our soul, that we were made for something more, that we were made for progress. Like this entire series, church, has been all about the way that you were made, the way that you were designed, the way that God has made you on purpose, for a purpose, that there's a role that only you can fill. It's heaven before us. And maybe, just maybe, several of us need to take an evaluation of our life and say, is, can I honestly say that the road that I'm traveling right now, the journey that I'm on has heaven before me. The things that I'm looking to for my success, the things that I'm looking to for my contentment, the things that I think are going to make me happy and fulfill me, can I honestly say that they're leading me to the place where I want to end up? Or do I need to have the courage to say maybe I need to make that about turn? Maybe I need to change my path. Maybe I need to turn around and actually take a few steps backwards so that I can actually begin to get some forward momentum in my life. At the end of the day, church, it's about who God made you to be. It's about the kingdom that you were designed to function in. It's about the king that you were made to follow. The king that you were made to serve. It's heaven in you. It's heaven through you. It's heaven before you. I don't want anybody to leave here today to think like, oh man, like the world's, the world's messed up and I've been, I've been doing it all wrong. No, no, listen, there is, there's more hope and potential in our world today than there's ever been before in history. Like the progress that we've made in the last 200 years is a beautiful thing. It's easier than ever for us to proclaim the gospel. It's easier than ever for us to live for Jesus today than it's ever been before. It's easier than ever for us to participate in the kingdom of heaven. Don't get it twisted, all right? Don't get it twisted. Don't lose sight of the goal. Don't sell yourself short for what an individual contribution could look like. You were made. You're not here by accident. 
You're a beautiful design of the creator of the universe and there is a role that he has called you and made you to play and made you to fulfill in the kingdom. And until you get there, until you buy into that, until you bring yourself into alignment with that and heaven is before you, you are never going to be at peace. I'm just telling you like it is because that's who you were made to be. Everything in your life that you are struggling for, that you are hoarding, that you are trying to grab onto and so desperately trying to find peace and contentment that if it's outside of Jesus and it's outside of heaven and outside of who he created you to be, then it's garbage. Then it pales in comparison to what heaven is supposed to look like in your life. And don't you ever for one single second sell yourself short on what you can contribute to the kingdom. What one individual can contribute to the kingdom. What God can do with one individual that says, yeah, I'm willing to take a few steps back so I can realign myself with who God made me to be. I recognize I was made in the image of God. I recognize I've got heaven in me. I recognize that the kingdom of heaven is gonna come through me and through his church. This is the stuff that we pray for, guys. This is the stuff of revival. This is the game changer. This changes absolutely everything. Pastor Brent has has ended every week of this series with, with a little challenge for us, a little homework, if you will, all right? And so I wanted to do that for us today, just to be thinking about these things this week, and we'll post them online for you too and remind you, but think about heaven in us. Like, what would it look like this week if we, if we were willing to take one thing in our life, a good thing, a thing that we turn to for uh, just, just contentment or satisfaction, something that makes us happy that we go to just, to just to unwind, relax, whatever it is. And what if we were willing to fast, to give up that one thing just for even just a week and replace that with intentional focused time with God saying, God, what do you want me to do for my life this week? How do you want me to live for you? What's the, what's the kingdom of heaven look like in my life this week? Like what would happen if we were willing to do that? Give up good things for something great just for a week and see what God does. It's heaven in us, heaven through us. What if this week we intentionally looked for somewhere in our life that we could be the answer to somebody else's prayers? That we could say, God, listen, it doesn't have to be anything profound it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to look like money. It could just be something as simple as being sensitive enough to God to say the right thing to someone at the exact right moment that they needed to hear it. And what would it look like if we said, God, show me a place where I can be the answer to somebody's prayer this week? And then heaven before us, like what if we were willing to take an honest examination of our life to say, God, can I honestly say that where I'm going and what I'm desiring and what I'm pursuing with my life is leading me to heaven? Can I honestly say that I'm living in my life in such a way that I'm experiencing authentic joy and I'm experiencing authentic peace? The people around you will notice. The people around you will be able to maybe identify it even before you will what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven actually shows up in your life, when true progress is actually made. You can have it. It's actually incredibly close. It just requires a renewing of our mind, a shift in the way we think, a denial of cultural mythology. Saying, Jesus, I need your kingdom. I need heaven more than anything else. God, we love you today. 
and as your church and as your people, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you made us. God, we thank you that you made us. God, you made us for belonging. You made us for peace. You made us for truth. You made us for meaning. You made us for progress. And God, today we just stand in awe of who you are. Father, we say that we are, we are humble people. We are humble followers of you, God. We are honored that you would choose us as your plan A to go into the world and proclaim your gospel. And today, God, would you fill your people with your spirit and with your fire, God? Would you fill us with heaven, Jesus? Would you fill us with a joy and with a contentment and with a sense of purpose that we've longed for our entire lives, God? Those of us that would turn to you even now in these moments and say, God, I want to realign my life to come into alignment with you, Father. Would you just move in and begin to inhabit those spaces in our lives, God? Would you begin to fill in those gaps, God? Would you begin to make up for all the places where we feel like we fall short, God? Would you call people to purpose? Would you call people to your anointing, God? Would you call people to their design, Father, their intimate, their personal design with you, God? Would you awaken us to the heaven that is already in us, the heaven that you placed there before the beginning of time? God, would you use us? Would you bring your kingdom of heaven through us in this world? God, would you show us what that looks like? God, but we answer people's prayers. God, the cries of people's hearts. God, the cries of people's moments of desperation. Father, would we be there in the name of Jesus? Would we meet them in the name of Jesus? And God, we will be faithful to give you all the glory, God. It's not in our might. It's not in our power. Father, we thank you that in all of our striving. Father, we thank you in all of our searching. God, that you've always been close, that you've always been there. Father, would you, would you give us the ability to see with your eyes, God, to not call things that are darkness light, but Father, show us the true light of your spirit, God. Show us the true light of heaven. God, and would revival come? Would revival come in our day, Father? Would you do a new work because of the renewal in our hearts, God, the corporate renewal in our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we live for you. God, it's heaven before us. It's your hope of heaven. That's why we're able to live. That's why we breathe. You give us meaning and purpose. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.